The future of Google smartwatches has landed, and I explain why fear is the best laxative. Yes, it's all coming up on the Scene at UK podcast, episode 514, for Friday the 10th of February. Hello, I'm Andrew Hoyle, and I'm joined today by Katie Collins. Hi, Katie. Hi, Andy. How are you doing this week? Oh, I'm so wonderful, thanks. How are you? Oh, very well, thank you. I think the podcast today is going to be a good uh, a good solution to the awful grey cloud hanging over London today. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah, the problem is our office is on the ninth floor in East London, and we've got a great view normally, but today it's just, it's just cloud, just grey, low-hanging, freezing fog. Um, which is uh, not, it's not the most dramatic of views today, is it? No, but uh, we will create our own drama in our podcast studio. Well, shall we start straight away then? Let's. Let's move straight into into what's been going on. So this week saw the official unveiling of Android Wear 2. This is the big update to Google's uh, wearables software um, called Android Wear. Um, And it comes with a whole bunch of features that hopefully Google thinks is going to make it a much better proposition than what we've already had from Android Wear. So a few of the things to keep in mind, Katie, with this. One One of the major features is that finally you can use Android Pay with Android Wear watches mm-hmm. via NFC. Now, that's obviously been a big omission so far, and the watches haven't been able to do this, uh, particularly given that that is one of the big features you can do with uh, the Apple Watch, with mm. Apple Pay. So now, with an Android Wear watch that's running the new software, you can go into the co-op or Marks & Spencer's or TFL with the tube or wherever you want to use your contactless payments and just tap your wrist on the reader and away you go. Mm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I think it is. And I think one of the important things about this is that not everybody has adopted mobile payments yet. You know, not everyone's decided, you know, that and it's for them. And why not? But I think the kind of people that have adopted smartwatches probably are the kind of people that have adopted mobile payments. And therefore, this... Geeks. Will... <laughs> is, what you're, you're, is what you're skirting around. Well, I mean, you and I are included in that. So oh, I don't want that to be a derogatory Not term. at all. Um, but you know the these. early the earlier adopters of uh, mobile payments um, and uh, early adopters of smartwatches. I think there's probably a lot of crossover there, and therefore I think this is going to be a really welcome addition. Mm. You know what I really don't like um, is when people will try and use a smartwatch to pay for things, even when it's being a burden. And I've seen this a couple of times <laughs> in bars where. Everyone's using contactless because it's great. Because now most pubs and bars, certainly that that I that I know of, do tend to accept and card payments. In the now. UK, in the UK, do tend to accept card payments because it's quicker now. When they can just oh yeah, you know, two two pints of beer. That's well, it's London, so that's forty five pounds. Uh, okay, not forty. You can't use contactless, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Um, you can just tap your card, and it's quicker than them having to do the old way with card payments, and it's quicker even than using cash. Mm. So that's great. But I have seen a couple of occasions where somebody's trying to they said, oh okay, is this much and then all right, activate the watch and then they're reaching their wrist over and no it hasn't done it okay hang on and they're clicking a button on the side trying to make it uh, ready to, to make the payment and mm. then trying again it hasn't worked I'm just thinking just stop it mm. just put it just use your contactless card mm. or even your phone would be quicker but they're not and that's 
that bugs me a little because I think they're trying to make a bit of a show of, oh, yeah. look at my watch. I mean, I, I often wear a smartwatch and I have to say that I don't pay, use it to pay for things. Um, and the reason that I that I choose not to do that is because I find the payment feature on the watch a little bit awkward. Yeah. And just because of the positioning, um, you have to turn your wrist a funny way if you want to use it. And I really think that eventually we're going to see... Um, smart watch makers mm. rethink this and think how can we make uh, paying with a watch you know more convenient yeah. and i think you know maybe eventually they'll fu- they'll come up with a way where you don't have to twist your well you shouldn't arm have to around. twist it now because the whole point is that it is contactless the idea is that it is it's near field so by putting your wrist near the payment uh, terminal that should be enough you shouldn't have to twist it round and actually press your watch against the reader but that isn't the case because mm. a lot of them the signal isn't really strong enough um i don't know what the tech has happened to the tech inside but you do have to as you say twist your wrist around it's a little bit uncomfortable um but uh yeah but that, that's just one of the features that's coming um another big update is that there are a lot more apps now that are able to work completely independently of your phone which wasn't the case of the previous one every app you had basically linked up with your phone so it was pulling data from your phone all the time whereas now um your the watch will be able to link up via uh, wi-fi or to bluetooth or to um even even with some of the new watches, uh, 4G support mm. in the watch itself, mm-hmm. so um, which is great news for any of the music apps and running apps and things where you want to just be able to track your run without having to have your phone with you. So again, this is something that we've seen on the new version of the Apple Watch. So it's, but we are sort of seeing Google doing a bit of catch up here mm. with its own thing, um, and I think that's really good because. It, so it means that you don't have to go running with your phone. You don't have to always have your phone with you, mm. um, which I know that for you, because you do, you do quite a lot of running. Yeah. That's that's really good. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it is, and, and and a big part of that as well as you know being able to play. I mean, for me, being able to play Spotify through my uh, watch rather than having to take my phone along with me would be a, a huge help. Yeah. Do you, um, can, and you can't do that with Spotify on the Apple Watch. Um, it's a problem, I think. No, it's, no, it's, you it's can't. Apple Music. No. Um, and, and similarly, you have been able to load some songs onto your watch with Google before using... Uh, uh, Google Music, but it only plays for local files, and they only have four gigabyte of memory, so you don't get many much music on there. Um, but I'll breeze through some of the other uh, other features, see if, um, if if any of these appeal to you. Um, you will be able to customize the watch faces a lot more, putting that's more information welcome. right up front, whether that's your step count, your battery information notifications you can select favorite contacts so maybe katie you'd want to select me as your favorite contact so when i tell you about podcast recording (laughs) times uh you will be able to see that right there on your watch face uh new updates to google fit basically to make the it it, it track your things better and to integrate with third-party services a bit better uh google assistant of course that's that's different from google now this is uh, google's actual smart assistant that we've seen in the pixel so Mm -hmm. far that's going to be on the watch so again kind of playing catch up to siri a little bit there um and things like better predictive keyboards if you want to actually swipe messages back and more context dependent uh sort of template replies um so those are some of the major features any of those excite you at all um be honest well i i just think um i think the thing is these are all great um they're all great iterations important iterations that that, that android wear really needed yes but do any of them really excite me 
I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure, like, if, if I hadn't bought a smartwatch before, yeah. whether I'd be like, oh, wow, now it's got this killer this feature. This is the thing that it needs. N- yeah, yeah. Now, I'm, now is the time I'm going to buy in. Yeah. I feel like for people that already own smartwatches, um, for people that are already interested in, in those devices, yes, this will be great. But, like, this isn't the, this isn't the thing that's going to, you know, m- you know, make me It's not going to push you over and, the edge yeah. into, into spending a lot of money outright. Um, but... It has launched with a couple of new um, of new watches itself, uh, both of which from LG. There's the LG Watch Sport, um, which is the the bigger um, of the two models. Uh, it is a it is a chunky chap, but it's got 4G connectivity in there. So that's going to be a bit awkward in the UK because you'll need to have a completely separate contract for your watch, for you will for your phone. But having 4G on your watch could be really beneficial for messaging and obviously running apps and music and stuff like we've said. Uh, it's also got GPS built in, again, running for tracking your runs. Um, so that kind of the main takeaway from this one is that it does a lot, but the problem is, is that it's huge. Mm. Like it's a really chunky, it's more of a gauntlet yeah. than a watch. And I know that for a lot of people, myself included, that's I just don't want that. I don't want this massive chunky thing. Um, I've got the Apple Watch with one of the um, really with the the leather one, which is the strap, which is um, I find is so slim and small and discreet that you can wear it all the time without really noticing it's there. Um, and I know you find similar with your watches; you like a smaller, slimmer models. Yes, um, and I think uh, for your ladies' wrists, <laughs> um, I think the, the 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 difficult thing here with the, with smartwatches is. People have yet to be convinced by them, and a lot of that is to do with the design and the size of them. And it just seems to me that this is more of the same. And I'm just wondering when are we ever going to reach a point where, you know, companies... I mean, there are other companies out there, companies like Withings, for example, who are making different styles of smartwatches that are more pared down, much slimmer, and, you know, obviously have fewer features as a result, but... um, are we ever going to see, you know, these mainstream tech companies like Samsung and LG making uh, watches that are actually going to have mass appeal? Well, this is this is something I was going to come on to in that what Google has continued to do um, uh, is is partner with tech firms to try and make stylish watches rather than partnering at launch with fashion brands to make to make techy but stylish watches. There are, I mean, I'm not saying there aren't any. There are some uh, some watches from more known watch brands like Tag Heuer and Fossil. But for the most part, these are all tech brands, as you say, uh, Withings, and we've got Samsung, we've got LG, um, you know, companies like Garmin and Polar um, for, the, for, the, for the more sporty ones. But I still, th- I think that it would be more beneficial if Google is launching with a high-profile luxury brand at launch who's going to kind of turn the the look of the android wear smartwatch on its head and it is not about it being a geeky accessory for only the most dedicated of tech followers to one which is kind of which is the case where it is now mm. um the apple watches is, is is much more on the fashion side and you'll have people well that's partly because apple is still seen as the more luxury brand but also i mean apple has done significant work on its marketing positioning and we yes, know that we, we've seen the partnerships that it's come up with and the with Hermes and and you know the the very popular celebrities it's mm. got to actually you know manage to get them to wear the watch not just advertise the watch on a billboard or something yeah. um and you know I really I I I would love to see smart watches become more mainstream and I'm just worried that this isn't 
this isn't it. <laughs> no, if anything, I feel that they still they are they are making them more as a as a geek's accessory again. And I know I keep using the word geek, and I and I honestly don't mean that in a bad way. I I, I think that's it's great. You know, people who love tech, but um, the problem is is that they are they are optional accessories to a smartphone to mm-hmm. augment your smartphone experience. None of them have got any killer features that you need it by itself. And I think, and that's it's still the issue for for most people because they're just seen then as oh you've got some gadgety thing mm. like you know the old days of going and buying some like the calculator watch mm-hmm. um, from Argos or the gadget shop because you just wanted something that's a bit quirky and techy mm. on your watch on your wrist rather than something stylish. Um, I mean that's still how they're seen to the vast majority of people. Uh, so yeah, I'd like to see some more um, some more luxury brands on board, some more actual watch fashion brands who are mm. doing something that. Looks like an, a really nice watch. Um, the other watch from LG is just called is um, is the LG Watch Style. Um, it's a lot smaller, a lot more pared down. But in do in making it smaller, they've removed the 4G, they've removed the GPS. Um, both watches have digital crowns. The um, you know the turny Ooh, dial on the side. I wouldn't call it that, Andy. Well, I mean, that is what it is. <laughs> Apple, Obviously, that's what Apple's Apple had. going to the crown is a very. I'm sure Apple's like tried to trademark that well the crown but... the crown is already a uh, you know that that I is know, a feature of, is. Um, of uh of watches having you know the turny the turny dial on the side and it wouldn't so, surprise me so if they surely, tried to trademark it anyway though. yeah and maybe they've, they have trademarked digital crown i don't know but i would have thought you couldn't because that is just a digital version that is a descriptive mm. word for a thing yeah. that already exists like button for example yeah so but um, they have, but they do have that, so you can sort of navigate through the watch without having to swipe on the on the tiny screen, which um, I know is has been a big feature of the Apple Watch. But um, yeah, and again, like I'm, 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 I'm with you. They're fine. It seems like these are updates that Android Wear needed, if only just to keep it in step with with mm. the Apple Watch, because these are features that we do already have on the Apple Watch for deep integration of Siri um, uh, and and things like uh, NFC for for payments, but. Uh, and and both watches also have the waterproofing now mm, as well, which yeah. is good. I'm not that sure actually if you can wear them swimming like you can. And I think the Apple Watch may still have the edge in terms of depth of waterproofing, mm-hmm. whereas I think the LG ones are more splashproof, splashproof and showerproof. They're IP68 rated, so that's um, up to one and a half meters for 30 minutes. Okay, uh, so not for a full length swim in the pool. Um, but I, they don't have that feature that, for me, is really grabbing me by the balls and saying, yeah, here's something that you need to go out and buy. Mm. Nor can I, now on this podcast, give the listeners, I think, uh, all three of you, uh, any reason to go and buy this either, other than that it's just fine. Um, but what is cool, though, with this, unlike with the Apple Watch, is that uh, Android Wear 2 will be pushed out as an update to most of the existing Android Wear watches. Mm. Um, some of the, the really early ones, like the original Moto uh, 360 and the original LG G Watch, won't get it because they're just a bit too old. But like the more recent LG Watch Urbane and the Huawei Watch, uh, they will get the update. So if you have already invested your money in one of those, then you will uh, be able to get the update. And uh, we do have guides on which of the watches get it mm-hmm. and how to get it, but that will roll out starting February 15th. So if you have already got one, then great. Maybe you'll be able to get some of these features, um, if not some of the benefits of having the, the digital crown and 4G. Yeah, and I imagine if you are an existing uh, Android Wear smartwatch owner, this will be an incredibly welcome update. So you've got that to look forward Definitely, to. Definitely, yeah, and gives a little bit more life to your watch, which actually is uh, one of the problems that I... The downsides, if if you did have a 
proper fashion brand tech partner on board from day one. For example, with a Tag Heuer connected Android Wear watch. The problem with that is that, as, as we know, the tech industry moves very, very quickly. The fashion industry less so. And when you're spending £1,500 on the Tag Heuer watch, which is how much it was, to, to then have a year later it being upgraded to something else, if it didn't get wet the year after, it probably won't be able to get the next update, Android Wear 3.0, because it won't have the hardware on board. So then you've got this extremely expensive fashion, excuse me, fashion watch, which can't get the update. It's suddenly, mm-hmm. suddenly obsolete. I think, um, I think this... I was expecting by now this space to have really kind of leveled out for uh, for fashion companies, for watch companies, for tech companies to have kind of got themselves sorted as to you know how this space looks, what what a smartwatch is, um, and I feel like this is still in flux. Um, it's still a conversation that good use of flux. It's still an ongoing conversation, and um, and I think actually we haven't reached the point yet where. You know, we're, we haven't got to the most exciting point in the smartwatch story. I'm not sure we're going to. Well, I mean, I'd like to think that, we're go- that we will. Um, I'm going to be positive and hold out and say that, that this is great. This Android Wear 2 update is fantastic for those who, who own uh, Android Wear watches already. But, you know, if you are interested in smartwatches and haven't bought yet, I feel like there might be more to come in this story. Yeah, but the problem is, is that I've been saying this since day one, and since the since when we had the first the Samsung Gear Galaxy Gear with the little camera, like one of the very first um, sort of mainstream uh, smartwatches available. I was like, yeah, you know what? This is prom- promising. It's got a, couple, a few nice features that some people might like, but it's not a it's not a definite go and buy yet. But let's see what's around the corner. I've been saying that for several years now, and I keep feeling, you know, it's like it's like plugging away, trying to be friends with someone who doesn't really want to be your friend, where you keep make, phoning them up and asking them to meet up, and they never ask you. And at the end of the day, I'm kind of like, well. If it was going to happen, maybe it'd happen by now. And I'm almost putting myself out there too many times and then getting burned by <laughs> not having this excitement uh, given back to me that I, I'm just I'm losing interest. And I think the tech industry is losing interest. And certainly I think the public is losing interest. Although if you are somebody that isn't losing interest and is really excited by all of this, and then please do let us yeah, know. Let us because know. We, you... would, we would like to know if, you know, if, if there are people out there who, who think that this is really exciting. Yeah. Do get in touch and tell us. Yeah, but we have reviewed both those watches, so you can go on CNET now and take a look um, at uh, photos of it. Maybe that'll inspire you to go out and buy one. Um, there's actually, they are going on sale in the UK, um, hopefully, I think in the next couple of weeks, although Google hasn't actually yet confirmed uh, UK availability or prices as of yet, um, but they will probably be somewhere around the £200, 250 mark. Um, but we'll keep you updated on that, of course. Uh, but in other things we've reviewed, Katie, we have had an early look at the long-awaited Beats X wireless headphones. Um, this is was kind of the Beats version of the AirPods, although they are connected by um, a wire. Okay. Uh, so our own David Carnoy gave them a solid four stars out of five, saying that they have great sound, great battery life, and are more comfortable to wear than most other wireless headphones on the market. Uh, they do use Apple's own low-power Bluetooth W1 chip, which is okay. unsurprising because Beats is now owned by Apple. So. Yeah. Uh, which is the same technology that's inside the AirPods. That means that they pair instantly with Apple devices and other iOS devices, and you can pair multiple devices to the one thing. Um, basically, they're really good. They're available now-ish, I think, about £130. 
So I, I thought I'd keep that very short just because yeah. it is it is these headphones are kind of exciting because they do use Apple's new tech and they are kind of the first new line that we've seen from Beats since the Apple takeover, really. What we've seen is so far is kind of iterations of existing lineups. So this is a little bit different, and certainly with the AirPods out, these are sort of going head-to-head. So it's kind of exciting. Um, but also the Beats X have been delayed so many times for a variety of reasons that it's kind of neat to see them finally on sale. So that's why I thought I'd bring them up today. Um, but now I'm going to move on to a little personal story, if you don't mind. I do not. Not, not, a, not a sob story. This is, this is good. Um, so as you know, Katie, I have recently moved house and I decided to install uh, Virgin Media um, broadband uh, mm-hmm. in my house. And how did that go for you, Andy? Well, exactly. I wanted to talk about the installation in case it does help any of our listeners make decisions of their own. Because when you buy it, you're given the choice uh, at the point when you actually say, yes, I'm going to sign up, uh, as to whether to install it yourself Mm -hmm. or to pay £40 for an engineer to do it. And even though I'm pretty good with tech, you know, Mm -hmm. I should hope so, I'm a technology journalist, (laughs) I had this thought of, okay, how difficult realistically is this going to be? Like, do you need an engineer? Because I often find when installing utilities like this, it's something that's best. Mm. I'd rather normally pay somebody who is an expert to come in and be like, yes, it's done. Here's exactly how to do it. Also, moving house can be quite a stressful process. So you don't necessarily want to add to that. And you've got a million other things to sort out at the same time. So, you know, perhaps this is one way that you could save time if you've got an engineer. Yeah. But also I thought, well, okay, I could also save 40 quid. And when I've just spent thousands upon thousands of pounds on deposits and uh, and rent and all this stuff outright. I'm like, you know what? I could really do with shaving 40 quid off the bill here. <laughs> so I decided to do it myself, and I wanted to kind of talk about how I found that. Uh, and the summary, basically, is very easy. Virgin, it comes in, in the box, and Virgin gives these very, very simple to follow step-by-step guides. Uh, I went through, and it was, I think it was probably about 20 minutes, and I was up and running with it going. It was super simple, and honestly, it does not take a technology journalist like me to do it like you could if you've got even vague understanding of technology you can do this it makes it very very simple it's it's there's lots of pictures lots of diagrams that are very easy to see exactly Mm. which cable you shove in where and then what do you do well that's great that's fantastic to hear yeah i'm glad to hear you are online I know how you hate to be offline. Well, it was the first thing I did as soon as I moved (laughs) in, pretty much, um, because I had a little bit of free time. Like, okay, let's get the internet sorted out. Um, So that saved me 40 quid, which I then spent on pizza. Um, All of it, all £40 on pizza. Um, (laughs) So I'm actually paying £37 for the 100 megabyte fibre connection uh, because I didn't want the phone line and I didn't want Virgin's TV package either because all my TV is done through catch-up with Netflix and iPlayer and whatnot. So Mm. um, I just wanted a good, solid... Uh, fiber connection now the only thing that's worth bearing in mind is that i've got the router installed in my living room which is at the front of the property whereas my bedroom is towards the back and actually i found that i couldn't get the wi-fi signal in my bedroom which is a bit of a pain in the ass because at night i like to put netflix on or sometimes i'll do some gaming in my bedroom so i do need a strong connection in the back so what i did is I installed the, uh, it's called the Netgear Powerline Wi-Fi 1000. It's basically, it's a Powerline Wi-Fi, um, Wi-Fi signal booster, which actually it uses the 
the wires in your house mm-hmm. to send your your um, your broadband connection through to a different room. But what it actually does is basically then give you a different wireless access point, set it up as a second Wi-Fi zone in your bedroom so I could connect to that independently of the one in the front of the house. Mm-hmm. And I got pretty much the same speeds, which is great. That's great. That's great to hear. Yeah. Um, Again, very easy to install. And uh, that's all I really wanted to say. I just thought it was an interesting... It's not often that I... I have uh, a very personal use of of tech in this way. <laughs> and I thought I firstly wanted to give the kudos to Virgin in that actually their system of how to install it is very simple. And also, if there are people out there who have been in a similar position of, oh, God, do, do I know enough about this? Do I do I have to start messing around with DNS settings and all this other stuff? No, you don't. You just It's very easy to do. So don't be afraid of doing that. Save yourself 40 quid and give it a go yourself. That's pretty much all I had to say. Great. Fantastic. But why don't we, uh, I think we should move on to uh, the Science Museum, Katie, because you and I went down for a early press preview of a new exhibition on earlier this week, didn't we? We did. Now, this is a really long-awaited exhibition, and um, I spoke to the curator, and it's actually been being planned since uh, 2011. So that's six years in the making. Um, And this is the uh, seminal uh, robots exhibition. And the focus of the exhibition is on human robots um and it's it's open now i think at the science museum in london and it's going to be on until september after which it's going to travel um travel the country it's going to manchester newcastle edinburgh and then after that it's going to uh, travel internationally for probably a good three years, three, four years So or what so. did we see in this exhibition? So so we saw a variety of humanoid robots and what it did is it looked at about 500 years worth of, of humanoid robots. Um, you might be thinking they made robots 500 years ago. Turns out, yes, you, they kind of did. There's <laughs> one I saw that was particularly creepy which was a wooden sculpture of a monk and using clockwork he can move across the table and he uh, raises his cross and his rosary beads and murmurs prayer, obviously silently, but his yeah. lips move as though murmuring prayer. So that And that was from 1530-something. Yeah, so. it's really interesting that apparently the church was a really early investor in the robots industry. Um, <laughs> not so much these days, as um, far as I'm aware. Well, probably not, but... It's, Unless it's we've just, got RoboPoke. It's a really curious... Um, it's a little bit like how um, how in Belgium the, the Trappist monks were uh, the creators of some of the best Belgian beer. And continue to be. And continue to be. So it's just, um, it's just an interesting kind of quirk there um but we saw a, a, a couple of really interesting standout robots and one of them for me it was probably actually the only robot in the exhibition that wasn't technically humanoid um was this beautiful robotic swan from the 1700s solid silver swan and and it's um it's a it's a gorgeous it looks like a sculpture but um you wind it up and then for 37 seconds it performs this routine where um there's this kind of sil- silver filigree uh, water that moves and the swan bends round and kind of grooms its own uh, neck and yeah. then and then it puts its beak down and, and grabs a fish from the from the flowing stream yeah. and swallows it. And it's the most. Uh, and it, all the while, there's there's some music playing in the background. It's a really stunning thing. It's on uh, loan from the uh, the Bose Museum, yeah, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, the Bose Museum. Uh, up that's north. only available to see in the Science Museum until March. That's, I believe, that's and, correct. End of March. So go um, soon if you want to see that. Yeah. Um, 
but there are a whole load of really fascinating robots. There's um, there's Eric, uh, the England's first robot, yes, uh, which we've written about before. There was Robo Thespian, the robot actor who uh, sang a variety of of his favourite songs, yep. including. Uh, singing in the rain, and he and he quoted a few Shakespeare lines and whatnot. And um, I'll be honest, there are quite a, a few of the robots that I found were absolutely creepy beyond imaginable belief, yeah. um, including a couple um, that they really looked like they were wearing the masks of their defeated enemies. They were wearing <laughs> faces over their existing faces, which I, I did fri- uh, find really rather frightening. Um, and, and I put together a whole gallery of these robots that you can mm. see. But uh, you had a, a chat with the curator, didn't you, Katie? So why don't we take a listen to what he's got to say? Well, to be honest, when I started out, the key robots I wanted were undetermined. You know, I thought, well, actually, what can I, what can I get hold of? Um, we, had, you know, we had to go out and rely on, on borrowing and, and, and new acquisitions and that sort of thing. Um, we, we thought we'd concentrate on the humanoid robots. There's so many robots you could have. You know, we do, we do we want drones? Do we want UAVs? Do we want industrial robots? But it seemed, you know, we, we could fill a space four times bigger. Uh, with robots than we actually had so we had to find a way of sort of channeling it and filtering things down and we, 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 I realised early on that it's the humanoids that most fascinate people because they're so much like us so I thought let's go for those guys there's one I'm particularly proud of there's a company called Shadow in London they build the most remarkable uh, robot hands they, they still do um, and when I was there I spent a couple of hours doing their hands and just as I was leaving they said oh by the way we've got a humanoid in the basement and I went oh really? tell me about this, tell me more and, um, and so I went down to the basement they went into the cupboard under the stairs. Then we went into the sort of crawl space behind the cupboard under the stairs where the ceiling had collapsed and goodness knows what else. Um, and there was um, uh, the most remarkable six-foot-tall humanoid lying on its back covered with rubbish. So I did a bit of sort of buccaneering curatorial work of going, ha-ha, let's just get on with it. Um, got me got me boiler suit and me face mask and, and dismantled everything and, and pulled him out by his ankles. Turned out to be the first robot outside Japan that could sort of balance and take a step without falling over. So it was a remarkable find. So it just shows when you're a creator and you do curatorial work, you always go to the back of the very last box because there's always going to be something there, but you have to keep looking. We have a lot of uh, robots that have come in on loan to us from around the world, from Japan, from America, uh, from uh, other museums in the UK. Um, so, for example, the Bose Museum have very kindly lent us their Silver Swan, which is the most astonishing automaton built in 1773. Um, when you start doing an exhibition, you always have a sort of, you, you sort of go, who's got what things and how likely are they to give them to us? And I knew about the Swan because it's the most remarkable machine and we thought, wow. And I thought they'll never lend that to us. And, and the, the museum director said, well, if you don't ask, we don't get. So we thought we'd have a try. And amazingly, they said yes. And amazingly, actually, a, a, a gratifyingly high number of the people out there with robots said yes when we asked them. So it's, it's, a, really, it's a really unique collection of objects, actually. I'm, very, I'm really pleased with how it's worked out. Joining me now is Lucy James, Master of Games from GameSpot. How are you doing, Lucy? I'm very well, thank you, Andy. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for joining us mm. on this day, which is now snowing, actually. Oh. Earlier on in the show, I moaned about it being grey and miserable outside, but that was about an hour ago, and now it started snowing. So that's cheered me right up. You're yeah. pulling a, a sad face. Well, no, I, I like a blow dry my hair straight, and that takes time, effort, and, you know, my poor arms were hurting by the end of it. Oh. But I thought I could get away with it, but no. So the snow's going to ruin that for you Pretty now, is it? Much. Okay, well, that's a shame. Um, I wanted to talk to you about a few a few different games. Yes. Um, we're going to start off talking about Resident Evil 7, which is, uh, I think, the biggest release that we've had uh, so far in 2017. Yeah. Um, you've played this through start to finish, haven't you? Yes. And On what do PS4. you make of it? It is great. Yeah. It's so good. It's... um. 
after you know after like Resident Evil Four, everyone was like, "Yes, Resi's great. It's scary. It's it's proper horror." And then they had a couple of uh, missteps. Which ones? Five. Yeah. Six. <laughs> Actually, Res- Revelations. Two was pretty good, which is like that. They they were trialing like episodic. Well, it was quite good actually. I'll be honest. I don't know a lot of the Resident Evil history. Uh, I think I played one, maybe a bit of two. Right. Well, four is everyone's kind of favorite. Uh, and then they had like, oh, what was it? Operation Raccoon City. Was it Umbrella Corps? Which is like this really terrible like third person uh, online multiplayer game that was really bad Mm. and so everyone when they announced resident evil 7 people didn't want to get their hopes up for it because you know they haven't had the best run of form lately but i'm so glad you stuck with it the cobwebs were cleared they did some really clever stuff with their marketing they kind of did a pt they didn't really they did announce that it was um when they first kind of revealed it ages ago capcom basically pulled a pt and they got journalists in to play what would then become the Kitchen demo. Yep. Back then it was called Project Kitchen and no one knew it was Resident <laughs> Evil. Um, and so everyone was writing about this Project Kitchen and then, you know, they re- revealed it as Resident Evil. So this and... is the first, like, the hour-long playable demo. That It's like, like an early version of that where you're so, in yeah, this disgusting, an... uh, disease pus-filled kitchen with cockroaches yeah. everywhere with random knocking sounds from all over and yep. all that sort of stuff. Because um, it, it, it is a big departure in terms of, like, firstly, it's first person. Like, you are yeah. you rather than Resident Evil was always your following just yeah. behind uh, somebody who's playing, and also it's you're you're not one of the agents, one you're of the, one of the umbrella agent. star. Yeah, you're you're just a random dude. Yeah, I mean the um, I think the way that they've gone through to first person is kind of indicative of um, kind of trends in the horror genre that have maybe come to light since Resident Evil when they were having their, their bad times. <laughs> uh, you had games like Outlast, Amnesia that were all first person and really scary. Yeah. So it's nice to kind of see that these games that took a lot from Resident Evil and now Resident Evil's taken a lot from them. So it's like the circle of life. Or just all stealing from each other. All called stealing from each other. Um, But I've been playing it through for the first time today in VR mode, which is, I I mean, we've talked a lot on on the show about about VR in gaming and business in all kinds of different ways. And it's, it's been one of those things that has been kind of exciting on the peripherals, but it's never really been that much of the mainstream thing and i said for a long time that playstation's vr system is going to be the thing that sort of makes people excited about vr because they've got so many developer relationships Mm. and indeed here we go with the first triple a games title launch that's vr compatible and this does seem like exactly the sort of thing to get people excited about vr because i've already found resident evil 7 pants crappingly frightening (laughs) playing through that game has really like I've just not want almost not wanted to continue because I know yeah. that around this corner at the end of this something's going to be there or if I turn around something frightening is going to be there waiting for me yeah. and I get really jumpy with those kinds of games mm. and my anxiety levels go through the roof and it's yeah. brilliant and I even have to spend like an hour watching like The Good Life or Vicar Dilly <laughs> afterwards in order to calm down just a little YouTube bit. YouTube videos of kittens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something like that afterwards and I have to, to keep reminding myself yeah. that it's not there. Whereas in VR, you can't do that. You can't remind yeah. yourself you're not somewhere else. I'm not looking at my laptop in a room where I've got my other surroundings. Mm. When I look around, I'm just looking around this terrifying room that I'm in. There's no escape yep. from that. There's nothing I can do and I can't. you can't just look away. Um, 
And so I found that really, really compelling. Albeit I've only played yeah. about half an hour. Mm. Um, but it's really, really good. The actual quality is is not as good as a seeing on a f- like your TV, but it's no. good enough. Yeah, I mean, the um, the PlayStation VR headset doesn't... What does it output in? I think it's, it's a 900p output I'm in, not, something I like that. I don't know the specifics. It's not, I mean, it's obviously not going to be as powerful as like your TV. No. But for what they've got running on it, it looks pretty good. It looks it looks really good. Yeah, yeah and it's certainly good enough that you really you you ab- I absolutely felt immersed in yeah. that world. I felt like I was walking around it, even though I was standing in the middle of our office with yeah. the rest of the GameSpot staff sitting around me, taking pictures, talking, and and eating crisps and stuff. Which I heard the, r- the rustling <laughs> of the packets, and but even down to things like because you, you can you can move and you can mm. lean so i could lean around corners so rather than having to actually walk out with the make the character move and walk and then look and then maybe walk back i can stand still but just lean my head forward and look around the corner look yeah. around this door and stuff and, and examine objects which all admittedly doesn't really add anything to the gameplay but it just it makes it feel makes much more feel, real yeah that's what you do you wouldn't just walk out and then look you would lean and go oh my god what's gonna be there i'm gonna yeah. lean and that's i think that's amazing because one of the things I found with the, um, the the PS4 version that I played is that the field of view is so narrow. So you do find yourself feeling, like, boxed in. Like, you can't see everything. So you are leaning and stuff yeah. anyway. So it really helps kind of make you feel scared. Yeah. So I'm glad that in, the like, the VR version, they've not only they've capitalized on that feeling of just... Yeah, yeah, not being able to see in. what's coming. Yeah, but it also means that when you you can quickly look around if you mm. want to look at something, and it, it it needs to be finessed. There's still a few, still yeah. quite a few problems there. Uh, most notably, the state, the issue that I believe we've both had in trying VR yeah. is that after 20 minutes of playing, I just wanted to go and be sick. Yeah, uh, and I'm still now. 20 minutes after that because I've literally yeah. just been playing this. I've just come from there. I'm still feeling quite woozy and. Yeah. And whether that's just I haven't spent enough time setting it up or I don't know what, but I'm I'm not the only person who has Oh, no. And I mean, that was the big thing with VR, I guess. So, like, when Oculus were first demoing DK1 and DK2, people would still get sick. But then Vive, I remember reading, I think it was Chet Falazek, was saying that your VR headset should not launch with motion sickness problems. Mm. And it's a problem that is obviously due to the latency and stuff. Yeah. But, like... Uh, it's kind of one of the one of the roadblocks to VR becoming so mainstream, I think, because people will be like, I get sick. Yeah. And so people aren't going to want to spend that much money on a device that makes them feel sick, regardless of how cool no, it is. No, because if you can only play for, say, half an hour at a time, um, you know, here and there, then that becomes a real casual accessory, yeah. which people aren't going to want to pay that sort of money for. Whereas if you want to sit down and actually play... Uh, Resident Evil 7 properly, you'll probably sit down for a few hours at a time and yeah. really get yourself into the storyline. And and I I certainly did. And I sat down and um because it and, and just played for ages one evening because mm. it looks great. I'm playing on uh, an, a on a Asus ROG GX Ooh. 700 laptop. It's the amazing mm. liquid cooled beast. Oof. So on on that it runs amazingly yeah. and so i just i just felt great carrying on playing yeah. and whereas then on this it's like the the quality isn't quite as good and the sickness thing just really kicked in i think because of that much much faster than otherwise would have done which is a shame because otherwise yeah. i would happily yeah, play that I mean, like that for a long time it it is nice to see that like that i mean that was the big problem when psvr launched the problem with vive launch and oculus there mm. weren't any full length games yeah so for the first one Regardless of its issues, Resident Evil 7, on, on its own, is a banger. Yeah. It's a great game. 
the VR stuff might need a little bit of work, but it's it's kind of showing that it can be done. You Absolutely, can do yeah. this, and it um, and the people want to. The developers yeah. are doing this, and I, I suspect that there may not have been a lot of work involved in putting mm. it on the um, excuse me putting in VR because it is already this. You know, it is it is a, a first person world where you can already look around. Mm. You can use the, the the left control stick to move your head around, as it were, and see this whole world. Yep. So it is already there in effectively three sixty. So, I mean, I don't know enough about the development, but to me, that would that would suggest that it wouldn't take a lot these first person games mm. to put them into VR. Um, but it's great that it has. Speaking of other full, uh, full games, though, what I thought was was cool is that. Um, uh, Valve has yeah. promised three full-length games. I thought Valve couldn't count to three. Well, no, see what no. you've done. Well, it hasn't said that Half-Life is going to be one of those, which is a <laughs> no. massive shame. Because obviously Half-Life 3 in VR, when it works, that's going to be the thing. Yeah. Everyone's going to spend thousands I, on yeah, it. Yeah, because I've played Half-Life 2 in VR. and Have you? Oh. Oh really? Well, no. This was uh, so. This was on the DK one, and my housemate at the of time, Oculus, is yeah, it? was a developer, and he got the, the Oculus and was like, "Oh, I'm gonna download Half Life. You can play it in VR. Don't play it in VR. Oh. It's really like I've never felt as sick." Okay. Yeah. But that's 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 then Hopefully that's a game. Fixed. Yeah. Well, that's a game that's not supposed to. It was never developed yeah, for VR, exactly. and that's just like I assume a, a very early edition port of an existing yeah. game into a VR thing, which is not which is kind of yeah. the whole point, is that then you're not... It's not going to work really that well. Um, but they have said... Uh, Vive has said... Uh, Vive? Valve, rather, has said that it will have these three full games. Because mm. a lot of the games and things that you can play right now, including the ones that Valve have put out themselves, like the Lab, are more yeah. experiences and yeah. little demos here and there that have got some cool things. But this is going to be full-length games. Um, and Valve's full-length games have been really popular. Oh, gosh, like, Massively, yeah. obviously, we've got, like... Team Fortress and obviously Half Life itself, Dota, of course. Yeah, that's right. Um, so it'd be really, really exciting to see what they're going to do. Uh, we don't know any more information about these. We don't know what yeah. titles they're going to be. We don't know what forms they might take. I mean, that's the thing. Like Valve makes so much money. They can. I mean, they said, "Yeah, Half Life Three's coming." When? Mm. Yeah. We don't have to say. You'll, you'll, they don't. You'll, yeah. you'll, you know, we build it. You'll come. Have they actually said it will? It is coming. Have they confirmed that there will be a Half-Life 3 at some point? There was one in development a few years ago. Oh, no, no, no. There was Half-Life 2 Episode 3 in development a few years right, ago. Right, yeah. Um, at Arcane. But I don't... I haven't heard... I've heard, like, shadows, whispers on the wind <laughs> of Half-Life 3 existing. Yeah. But... Um, I'm sure it does. I'm sure it exists in some form. In the same way as all the, all the supposed rumoured tech that, yeah. that we at CNET talk about does exist. Apple's own TV, Apple's car, for example. Mm. It will exist. Like, it is, because that you know they spend billions on R&D. Like, there will mm. be, in some basement, an Apple car, which they've built from scratch with all their kit. Like, it will exist. But that doesn't mean that it'll ever go on sale or ever see the yeah. light of day. So, Maybe uh, one of the Apple execs is using it, like Batman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's Can got you imagine funneling if he was money into R and D? Where's he going to drive it car. though? Without when it's not going to be seen, just only at night. And but he's put like the body kit of a Ford Fiesta around it, so <laughs> no one's going to look twice at it. Um, yeah, but what? Else, so in terms of the other big games that we're going to be seeing this year, what else has been exciting you? Oh, this year. So it's this actually. Whole year. I mean, so last year was maybe a bit of a just a 
damp squib of a year. <laughs> Someone said damp squib earlier. I can't get it out of my head. Um, it's a good term. It's a great term. Uh, last year, you didn't... Mm, I mean, you had Dishonored 2 and whatever. But this year, you have Resident Evil 7. You've got Persona 5, Mass Effect Andromeda, Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, that's really uh, good. Horizon Zero Dawn. You have a Horizon lot Horizon of... Zero Dawn? Yeah, so that's um, the new open world game from Gorilla, who made Killzone. Oh. And it basically looks like Egret from Game of Thrones. Yeah. But she's um, hunting, like, robotic dinosaurs. Okay, so almost sort of Far Cry Primal meets Dishonored 2. Maybe not Dishonored. Maybe Far Cry Primal meets, um, like, oh, I don't know, because she's... I can mm. see the cogs whirring away yeah, in head, desperately trying to think, trying to think of an analogy. I mean, for like it. she has a bow and arrow, so she's a bit like the new Tomb Raidery, but it's uh, okay. very open world. So it's a bit Skyrimy. Got to explore. You got to hunt. It's very Far Cry Primal meets third person action. Uh, okay, cool. Um, when you said Horizon, I immediately mm. thought Forza Horizon, like a new. They will probably no. That'll be. I imagine the year after because yeah. we've only just had because it'll be Forza this year and then Horizon next year, right? Yeah. I That's what they so. normally do. Year on year with different ones. But I love yeah. the Horizon That's so good. racing games. Um, I mean, you said last year it was a damn scrib of games, but we had Final Fantasy XV. Oh, yeah, which, yeah. You know, was... And Last Guardian. But it just felt like this is purely from like my... What like gets my you pro- going My professional sort of... In, like, way that I look at industries. Like, 2015 had that incredible E3 where it was like Shenmue 3, Final Fantasy XV, Last Guardian... All this stuff. And then, you know, it was like the E3 of dreams, people were calling it. <laughs> and then last year, you know, like when the Switch gets announced and um, uh, just like games come out eventually. Like Final Fantasy fifteen was a great game. But it, I, I don't know, people, the expectations from 2015 were so high. And they did, there weren't as many bangers, let's just say, yeah. like month on month. You had to wait a while to get. But when we did, we got some But when corkers. you did, you got like, you had, like October, November were great. And December, because you had, like, Last Guardian, Dishonored, XYZ, all in yeah. one bunch. Well, we've got some good stuff uh, coming up, um, obviously. And when's the, next, when's the next big games show? Is that be E3? So there's EGX Resed in March in March. the UK. And then we've just had a PAX. There'll probably be another PAX. Another PAX. The, the, that's the thing, like, us UK folk never get to go to PAX. That's, it's, that's, it, it's in the US. Yeah. So it makes it makes. But you, go to, to but you go to E3. We go to E3. So E3 is in June. Um, it's open to the public for the first time. What? 15,000 public oh, tickets. So it's, no. it's gone the way of Gamescom. I didn't know Gamescom was, was public either. Gamescom do, like, two press days and then the rest is open. But the yeah. press bit is, like, separate. Okay. Because... So like, you're not you're not queuing up to try and get demos that you need to actually produce your own content whilst you're queuing up against a load of kids who just want to have a go. Well, I mean, yeah, it's kept separate. I mean, that's the thing. Like, everyone's kind of complaining about, you know, oh, the, the queues will be too busy. But to be honest, I think the organisers will have probably thought of that and there will probably be different areas for behind closed doors stuff. You'd hope they'd think about that anyway, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, so, but the thing is, it's like everyone is there who loves games. So That's good. Be... So everyone has a big party and all yeah. that. Um, at the moment, I've been playing... I've actually been replaying yet again Grand Theft Auto V because this is a yeah. game I really enjoy playing, so I've been playing more of that. And I keep trying to get into online, but I don't have enough friends oh. who play it who I can game with. And so Without when I go griefed. on... 
well just just having anything to do like everything requires really mm. you to be with a group of people going out and doing things which is fine but i don't have many people who play it so i kind of just go on there maybe i'll join a public race mm. i'll race around in a car for a bit and then i'll log off and play back story mode uh, i've also been playing steep which i know got a lot of people's backs up a little bit people didn't like it but i really enjoy steep because mm. i just like hanging around on a mountain snowboarding yeah. um and i've also been playing the and i finished the mobile game my horse prince what uh, is that? It is the game in which you play a young girl who reluctantly falls in love with a horse with a handsome human face. Which um, <laughs> is as weird as it sounds, but it is well worth your time. Okay. It's one of those sorts of weird J dating sims, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of in the same vein as like Hataru Boyfriend, oh, the yeah, pigeon yeah, yeah. Uh, the high pigeon. school dating sim. Right. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, but you just... It's very it know it knows how daft it is. It okay, is good. it is very sort of self referential in that sense. Yeah. But it's it's just hilarious and you just see this weird, beautiful horse faced uh, <laughs> sorry, beautiful man faced horse going around doing horse things. Where does the, the face start and the It's literally just if just you took on the off neck. the top of the neck, if you took off the actual horse's head, so there's no like it there's no actual it's a human head yeah. just balanced on the top of the horse's <laughs> neck. Actually I mean, I'll, I'll right. see you now and I will include um uh, a photo or a screenshot in the show notes. Um, yes, please. But it is uh, it is as good as you imagine, and it's full of... So it looks like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's almost quite... It takes you back <laughs> at first. Yeah. And then when he eats the carrots, you know, oh. he's... Oh, oh, that was yeah, weird. It's, it's, it's a lot of good fun. Yeah. It's definitely All worth right. the time. So that's, that's My Horse Prince, and uh, I think it's a really good one if you're commuting in busy public transport for you to play yeah. low down enough so that everyone around you can get a good view. And, and as you're playing... Then quickly look up and look at the expression on other people's faces. Yeah, and just be like, what of it? Yeah, it's like seriously, this is my horse, wow. and uh, and I'm trying Don't to kink shame me. I'm trying to get him to fall in love with me because you have to answer. Que- like, he'll talk to you, yeah, and you get a multiple choice. And if you pick the right one, yeah. he falls in love with you a little bit more. Oh, yeah, which is which is sweet. And sometimes you'll make him sad when you pick the wrong one. Oh, no. Yeah, I know, but that's but, devastating. Yeah. So that's that's good fun. Yeah. Um, uh, what else? Uh, well, I was going to ask you uh, your thoughts on the Nintendo Switch, which of course will be on sale soon, soon. and then like two, three weeks. Two, from three now, weeks. Yeah. Um, mm, okay. Mm. So well, now, I mean, the thing is, like, I want Nintendo to succeed. I want them to do well, but it just seems like the Switch is not the thing that's going to. It's do not that. the thing that I want or need in my life. Right. You know what I mean. Um, and I feel like the launch lineup, sure, leading with Zelda, everyone could see that coming from a mile off. Is it enough? No. Especially so, not if you're launching on Wii U at the exact same time. I wrote this fairly, it, it was a fairly damning article, I suppose. Because we both following went to the, the same launch. event. We did, yeah, which I hated, frankly. But, um, a lot of people there. Uh, it was far too busy, but I'm not going to moan on the podcast about uh, a PR event. But um, I argued two main problems. One, it's price. Oh, yeah. It's very expensive. Yeah. And I had a lot of people who then sort of got back, at, who commented on the article saying, oh, no, no, it's actually it's actually the cheap one of, you know, the cheapest when you take into account inflation. Like, I'm not, that isn't the point. Right now, the price as it is now is expensive in comparison to other consoles and other things mm. that are available. Like, it's a lot of money. And the, and Zelda is £60. £60 for, for Skyrim's £60. A yeah. game that's at this point... 
six years old. Six years old. Yeah, and that's and and, and the gaming lineup. The fact that Skyrim was the, what, like the major surprise in the mm. teaser video they put out last year, and that's not going to be available in, until the end of this year. Yeah. And it's been on sale already for six years. And if you can't get a six-year-old game ready for launch, then you've done something wrong. And they they don't have it's it doesn't have its own Mario game yet. That's going to be the end of the year. Yeah. And it's Nintendo's own creation. If you can't, and they why can't they even get Mario right for it? There's yeah. like four main games that are gonna that people are gonna care about that it's launching with, which uh, none of which come with it. Um, so no. and they're they're launching one two Switch is meant to be like their Wii Party, their Wii Sports. But yeah. Honestly, like watching those games in action, th- th- what I mean, they're over in ten seconds. Yeah, there's a lot of, lots of little mini games, but yeah. not really a compelling reason to go and You've spend. Seen the baby one. The baby one. Yeah, there's one where your your joy. Con pads. Yeah, when you slap the <clears throat> controllers together and yeah, with the screen in the middle, that screen in the middle has a baby's face, and you have to rock it, and I think you have to like feed it and what? Yeah, but uh, that's a mini game or an entire game. That's a mini game. Okay, right. On, I think it's on one two switch, but it just looks really weird. So it's just, and I saw one where you use the controllers to milk a cow, which um, oh yeah, obviously that motion when you're holding that does just look a little bit um yeah uh, rude. Shall we yeah, say? Yeah. Um, I'm sure you can imagine what I'm what I'm describing, but I mean, I've I've got a a video of that pinned to my Twitter because <laughs> okay. um, I tweeted it out with the caption: "Video games were a mistake." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's accurate. Um, you should definitely not use it in front of the whole family, but um, yeah, I just like, those games are a bit of fun, but they're yeah. the games that need to be cheap, or that that should it should that should be the the standard game that's with yeah. it in the box for no extra price. I do hope, though, because I've heard, you know, all their spiel about Zelda being so full of things, blah, blah, blah. And yet the, the demos that they've had out have been very sparse with yeah. what, what they've been showing. So I really hope Zelda is going to be as full as they've promised and as good as they've promised. Do you know when you're going to be actually get to sit down and properly play through Zelda? Um, well... Really what I'm asking <clears> is when can you come back on the podcast to tell us all about it? Right. Well, I am getting a Switch at launch. I still have one pre-ordered for my partner's birthday. Mm-hmm. I was I've been conned. That's because you can't afford to, right? I mean, yeah. You know, you've not got you've not, you're not a millionaire. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I've got one coming, but then it, it's launching just before Mass Effect Andromeda. Mm. And Is that I've waited. No. Okay. I think they've come out and said mm, probably not. Right. It's not not powerful enough. Probably not. Right. So that's annoying. Um, but no, Mass Effect, you know, I've been waiting for five five years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very excited. But yeah, and then I've got Persona 5, which, you know, it's a big game. This busy for you then, really. So, so you haven't got suit. time to sit down. No, and... I will I will be playing it. I'll be... Well, one of I'll us be... has got to. Yeah, yeah. And after I mean, what we'll I've read about the Nintendo, they're well. not giving me one, so... We'll have to we'll have to see about that. Mm. Uh, okay, then final words. Then going back, mm. um, has the VR? I know that in terms of sickness, it wasn't hasn't VR in Resident Evil Seven wasn't great for you. Mm. But are you at all any more excited about what VR is going to bring to games this year? Well, the thing is, I mean, following the Oculus and Zenimax trial. It's it's more like a weird. Um, I kind of want my friend put it in a really good way that he said. This whole Zenimax Oculus thing could be like a, a movie akin to the social network because Zenimax just won half a billion from Oculus, therefore making Zenimax the most profitable VR company <laughs> out of all of them. And all they did was sue. Oh. Oh, yeah. 
there's a big like John Carmack and Palmer Lucky have to give um, Zenimax like 50 million. There's stuff uh, with like stolen codes and all this stuff. So it's really like getting really interesting. So to be honest, that's the most interesting thing in VR at the minute for me it's okay. like the just watching the, the fireworks kick off but not yeah. actually any games coming out of it to be honest like I have a Playstation VR I've got an Oculus Rift and they have been in the cupboard Let's sort see. of unused like you've yeah. got a fancy new toy for Christmas and you haven't played with it you've gone straight back out on your tricycle yeah, um, as, oh. yeah. no it's it's like getting a fancy new toy for Christmas and then only being interested in the box yeah so basically you're a cat is what you're telling me I wish yep Cool. Well, that's great. I think on that note, we should probably end the show. Uh, Lucy, thank you very much for joining us. Where can people find you online? I am on Twitter at Lucy James Games. Lucy James and at Games. GameSpot.com. Of course, GameSpot.com. Uh, thank you also to Katie for joining us earlier. You can find her with at Katie Collins on Twitter. And you can find me with at BatteryHQ. Uh, of course, you can still keep in touch with CNET, with uh, at CNET on pretty much all the channels. Or you can email in your thoughts with any of today's topics, uh, including the games and including the Android Wear, with CNETUKpodcast at CBSI.com. But for now, Lucy, I think it's time for us to go and throw up a little bit more playing VR. <laughs> See you next time. Bye.